I've realized that it is not the role of a large company to innovate. It is the role of the small guys who are scrappy, who have to be creative. That's where innovation comes from. And that's my biggest sort of takeaway for young people who are interested in this industry or who may want to create products or who may want to slide in there. There's no innovation happening. I mean, even like the way we smoke weed is so not innovative. Like I'm thinking about it and it's just like, when is someone going to innovate the joint? When is someone going to innovate? And not it was like some stupid device, but there's just a way that people are going to use cannabis in the future. And no one is thinking of that. We think about it at Kush Queen because we're nerds and we spend all of our time in our lab just like messing around trying to create new things. But I hope that young people and, and newcomers to the industry know that innovation is the way to slide in. Innovation is the way to really make a name for yourself. And these big companies are too big to do it. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to a new episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And kicking things off today, I might be a little bit biased, but I was totally fangirling when I got to sit down with Olivia Alexander of Kush Queen. I've been following her on social media for a while, and this woman knows more than just a thing or two about personal branding, brand building, social media marketing, and the power of going viral. But she also knows what it's like to grow a brand from her garage, navigate licensing her brand into compliant products, being creative and investing in innovation, and how to handle when your business grows and scales, impacting your product quality. Plus, she throws in a few tidbits about how she stops the haters in their tracks. Seriously, so many gems were shared in this episode. It was literally like sitting down with your best, most influential business owner and friend and hearing her tell it how it is while also giving you a pep talk to keep going. I also learned that she was a former beauty queen and totally lost it when I put two and two together that her name Kush Queen is influenced from her time as a beauty queen. Olivia, you are just so brilliant and smart and I'm even more obsessed with you. The best part, it's completely genuine. It all comes from her just rolling up her sleeves, trusting her gut, and putting the damn work in and becoming unmovable and unshakable. A true queen and living legend. And she was just as amazing in person. Well, as in person as Zoom allows us to be. But, you know, I've observed her online and getting to talk to her through this conversation just really reinforced how she shows up in the world, and it totally left me feeling motivated, inspired, and empowered. And so that was honestly the vibe that I wanted to bestow upon you guys this week. I know sometimes navigating the industry can be a lot, like a lot, a lot. And we all could use some words of encouragement sometimes. And so that is exactly what Olivia delivers for us today. She shares so openly and candidly about her experiences growing her brands, as well as invites us into how she handles when things go wrong, because they will go wrong. And you have got to pick yourself back up again and keep going. 
If you don't know who Olivia is or who Kush Queen is, you are in for a treat. Kush Queen is a multi-million dollar, multi-channel brand manufacturing only the finest cannabis-infused products. The Kush Queen product line includes award-winning bath bombs, pain relief lotions, ingestibles, wellness supplements, and skincare. And Olivia has been recognized as a voice for progressive change and industry inclusion over the years. She was recognized as one of the cannabis industry's top women founders by Variety Magazine, Green Entrepreneur, and Gondrepreneur all in 2020. In 2017, she was highlighted as Dope Magazine's Social Media Influencer of the Year. And then in 2020, she was also shouted out as the Mariah Carey of Weed. She most recently authored a book called The Essential Guide to Cannabis for Women, How to Buy, Use, and Enjoy Cannabis for Recreation and Wellness. And y'all, she is just one of the nicest and most authentic women I've had the pleasure of coming across in this industry. My hope is that you will learn from Olivia as much as I did putting this conversation together and leave this episode feeling a little less alone and ultimately more confident in what you're doing and how you are playing the game. Because remember, y'all, the game is always being played. So let's get straight to it. Please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Olivia to the show. Hi, my name is Olivia Alexander. I am the CEO and founder of Kush Queen. I started behind the counter of a dispensary in 2006 in the Prop 215 medical days. It's sort of where I fell in love with cannabis. And I also realized that people did not just use it to get high. They used it for every reason under the sun, almost except getting high. I mean, sure, there's a percentage of people who are doing that. But over the years, I worked in cannabis behind the scenes doing social media marketing. I became the largest digital influencer in cannabis back in like 2013. And then about the summer of 2015, I got deleted off the face of Instagram. I lost a million and a half followers in one day. And then it was sort of the big moment that I finally got to put all of my effort into Kush Queen. Kush Queen started as another company called The Crystal Colt. I started making Swarovski crystal vaporizers and accessories. The one for cannabis was called Kush Queen. And every single day people called me and they were like, can you sell me weed? And it was very bizarre. And then eventually I just started making small batches of cannabis products, making small batches of bath bombs, topicals. At this point, I was on about eight years of psychiatric medication and I was not really having any relief from that. And I basically got pregnant, had to have an abortion because of the psychiatric medication I was on. And then that is really when I developed the Kush Queen line as it is today. I use it to wean off of those pharmaceuticals. Psychiatric meds are highly addictive. And the long tapering process took me about a year. And without the Kush Queen products, I don't know if I would have even lived through it. We started in my parents' garage, like very, very old school. Within six months, I had a thousand square feet. Within three more months, I had two. And then I had three. Now we operate in a 7,000 square foot facility in Anaheim. And we're also in the compliant cannabis market in California with our products, soon to be launching in Washington and Arizona. Very excited about that. And really just uh, living the dream, bringing uh, my version of cannabis wellness to people all over the country, the world slowly, but surely now too, which is kind of crazy. And still just really loving cannabis and leaning on it as my medicine. And I just can't imagine my life without cannabinoids, honestly. That is such a personal story. Obviously, I think we all come into the industry because something has happened in our lives and cannabis has been there for us. But to make the transition into 
not just a consumer, but into an entrepreneur and one that wears multiple hats. I mean, you are, like you mentioned, a social media personality. You've built this personal brand. I know that it's a different, you know, maybe numbers game associated to where you currently are at versus where you historically had been, but still you have a large amount of followers. You have a lot of influence. A lot of people look to you as somebody who is not only, you know, talking about cannabis, but now working professionally in cannabis, you have this brand Kush Queen. It straddles the line between the hemp market as well as this regulated compliant cannabis market as well. And so there's a lot of different moving pieces that I'm excited to kind of break apart and break down with you. But I love to start by understanding, you know, you mentioned you started your brand in your parents' garage. What was that journey like? If we can just kind of deep dive into that type of, you know, visualization of, I've got an idea, I've made these products, but now I'm ready to kind of like turn the dial up and start making, how many SKUs were you doing? I mean, you mentioned you were doing vaporizers, but Kush Queen also does a lot of bath products and topicals and skincare. Like when you were first kind of launching and going through that hyper growth, what were the products you were creating and and kind of why did you pick those products to enter into this industry with? So Crystal Colt was literal handmade a crystal onto a vape one by one by one by one. We had velvet batteries. We had all different types of designs, leather. And ultimately at that point with Crystal Colts, I think I had 30 to 40 SKUs. I had eyewear. My eyewear was how I got into media at the time because in 2013, no one really wanted to put a vape pen in a fashion magazine. And so I got the eyewear on Live with Michael and Kelly in December, I think of like 2014. And I had like a $50,000 month and I had like no business plan, no clue. I couldn't scale it. And I kind of was like, oh, I don't have a scalable business, but I have 100,000 followers on Instagram. I have all these celebrities who love my products. Miley Cyrus tweeted them like very organic, just like great support happening. And then I had literally started the Crystal Cult with like three pens and people just banging down my DMs like, I need one, I need one. And I mean, I was selling like a $250 vape pen in 2013. So it's pretty audacious of me. And so really the bath bombs also were not just like, oh, I need to make something scalable, but I was using CBD and I really wanted people to have access to CBD online. I didn't know then you really couldn't sell CBD online then, dummy. But I really wanted something that was scalable. And then honestly, this is like kind of a lot of tea, but I knew that vapes were kind of bad for you. If you sold vapes in those early days, like e-cig, even zero nicotine, I sold zero nicotine. Like I was having a lot of health issues from vaping. And then I shit you not, I could not stop getting 16 year old kids to stop buying them for my website. And I had parents calling me all the time saying, what, what is this? And I was just like not feeling the vibe. And I wanted to sell people something that was good. I wanted to sell people something that was good for them, something that I could scale. And then something that I felt like could change the way people thought about cannabis. And with a CBD and a hemp or a, a cannabis bath bomb, you have a full body topical experience. If you just put a salve on a place where it hurts, that's one thing. Your skin is your biggest organ. You're absorbing the cannabinoids. You're absorbing the essential oils. And it feels like a full body massage without the price tag. And so I knew that it was kind of like a way that I could get people to buy in. So like, wait, this plant does what? And then it was very approachable. It didn't seem like anything that was scary, um, like a vape, you know, it's smoking. I, I also got a lot of feedback from people who were like, I don't want to smoke. I'm scared. I'm scared. And then I was experiencing my own 
host of issues, but that could just be from early 2000s dabs. Let's be real. Like we were dabbing like BHO blasted oil back then and that was not purged. So, okay. But basically from there, you know, I was, I started working more for other companies. I started seeing the evolution of the dispensary to finished goods, to great packaging. And that's when I sort of reimagined the brand. We started with Kinko's packaging. We used to wrap this piece of paper around the bath bomb and cut a plastic shrink to make it fit. I really used just like basic stuff just to make it happen. And then from there, little by little over time, scale sort of pushed me forward in the direction of better packaging. And I just couldn't make enough. That was sort of I think like six months, three months in, I remember getting an order from MedMen and I just couldn't fulfill it with my batch size, with my packaging. It wasn't scalable. And we were all like literally crying like every day in the production room, like freaking out because the bath bombs were breaking. Like it was just a train wreck. And we put up a sign and it was like, you know, one of those injury signs, like it's been X amount of days since we had an injury. Well, we had like how many days had been since we had broken bath bombs because they were just like combusting into powder. And then it was also that we moved from my parents' garage to this warehouse that was deep in the valley of LA where it's really dry. And making bath bombs in massive quantities is all about temperature. It's all very kind of scientific. So that's when we changed our packaging and really scaled our process. And that is sort of when I really started to, I don't want to say like become a a business owner, because I was already a business owner. But I really started to come around to, okay, this is what scaling is. This is how I'm going to be able to keep up with my demand and also stay committed to quality. When you start with a batch of 12 bath bombs, you are getting like the best bath bomb you could ever have because it's such a small batch. That's why small batch products are so important and high quality. The larger the batch, normally, the more the quality goes down. It's where I learned everything about sourcing ingredients, having great vendors. And then slowly but surely, we just kept growing little by little. We got into Urban Outfitters when they launched with CBD. And then I started finding ways to sell CBD online. It wasn't easy. I think I've had maybe like 18, 19, 20 merchant processors over the years. I was shut down. I used to run the business with a backpack full of money and a cash counter. I still have my cash counter under my desk just in case. I, like, I don't even take cash anymore, but I just like, just in case, this is my cash counter. And I have this shipping guy who said like, he used to see me come in with my backpack and I had a crystal taser, which I still have. And that was my protection. Like, bitch, you have a backpack full of $50,000. If you try to crystal it, tase someone, like, what is that going to do? You know, but I, I always also just like, I failed forward having been deleted on Instagram. You know, I was making almost half a million dollars a year being an influencer. And losing my business or feeling like I was losing my business really taught me a lot about being resilient. And I just, I'm immovable. Like I'm a rock when it comes to adversity. Like it, it almost like doesn't affect me. I mean, I'll be like crying, but I'll literally be like, we have to keep going. Uh, And so all of that was just like amazing training. I was also a child actor, competitive dancer growing up in beauty pageants. And as much as I hated my childhood, because I don't look back on it and think like, oh my God, I was in beauty pageants. It was amazing. I think like, holy shit, like all of that rejection that I faced from literally age two to age like 25, it made me who I am. And it literally made me have this like rock hard soul that like, no matter how bad it is, I'll never stop. 
And that's my mantra. They can't stop you if you don't stop. And so I really just kept going, failing forward and being like one of the most audacious people that I ever met. I was willing to give my product to anyone for free because I knew I could get them hooked. I did. I built a lot of the early Kush Queen customers off of a 50% discount and a Kush Queen crowning program I created where I crowned you a Kush Queen. And you didn't really get much because I didn't have much to give. I've truly bootstrapped the business. I've only raised $400,000 in capital in an angel round back in 2018 to make it into the legal compliant market because there was a period where we went legal and all the labs were backed up for six weeks. So even though I had orders and I had product, I didn't know when I could sell it. Luckily, I, I got through at week four. So my month was saved with one week. But I've really kind of been through it all. And then I was sitting here when everything went legal um, in California. I got to be on the shelves that first day that we sold legal weed. And I've really been able to just sort of ride it out, see the industry evolve. And I just never, I also don't say no to anything. Like 2017, Bella Cures, a nail salon chain in California reached out to me and said, we want to do CBD manicures and pedicures. And I was like, okay, what do you want? And they're like free product. I gave them 300, enough for 300 services. It went viral. We are still the best selling service in their nail salon to this day. They're my oldest and longest wholesale customer. And then in 2019, that summer, we went to BeautyCon. We were one of the first brands ever to be let in. I brought a wall of cannabis plants and they were like, this is hemp, right? And I'm like, yeah. And then we did the Alice and Olivia collaboration September 2019. And I got to go to New York Fashion Week. And I was like on the red carpet with Addison Ray and like all these people. I'm like, where the fuck am I, you know? And then we've just been surviving ever since. Um, and it's really just been a crazy journey of, you know, just do it the way that I can do it. I am in the middle of a rebrand and I'm not rebranding like everybody else where I just premiere this amazing rebrand because I can't afford it, you know? And I just, I live in a, a real place where if I don't have the money for it, I don't spend it. And I'm trying to hold on to my ownership of the company for my own sake of control and fun. And I really, I still have an immense amount of passion for what I do. And I love the plant. And that's where I kind of start every single day because it is a roller coaster, even to this day, as far as we've come in California, it's like, it's brutal to be in the compliant market. So it's just been a journey. No, your truth is so refreshing. I know we were talking before and just to reiterate it for the listeners, you know, it's, it's not that it's, you know, to be ungrateful or to like go through these hard times and to get discouraged, but it's like, yes, what an opportunity, what a privilege, but also you have to kind of push through if you want to break through some of these barriers. And so that's why not everybody is a business owner. That's why not everybody is operating in cannabis. And these are the really real conversations that I personally appreciate having both as a business owner who is like inspired by you and has been following you on social media for a while and just like seeing your content and then to get to like hear you and be face to face with you or at least as face to face as I can be in, you know, the age of technology and to like really get to feel your passion and your purpose for it. Like, I think that's what we all all hope to achieve with our lifetime, right? It's like, I just want to do something that makes an impact and makes a difference. And if it's something that is important to me, like you're sharing, you were making products for yourself first and foremost, and then finding so much traction. But I want to loop around because I just kind of had an aha. Kush queen, you're a beauty queen. 
One, what was that like? And I guess maybe it's a short story, maybe it's a long story. I don't know, but just like side fodder. I'm curious, coming from that world, being somebody who's creating cannabis products, cannabis content, kind of how did you build your following to get to a million followers? Was it during your time as a beauty queen or was it really around other types of content? And you're talking about being able to make a living on the content. Obviously, influencer marketing is like so huge and popular. Some people love it, some people hate it, but it is kind of a necessary evil when you're trying to navigate the digital age. And that's where consumers are hanging out. They're on their phones, they're on these platforms. So as someone who personally also creates content and knows the power of having a platform to work with brands, but also to build your own brand, I'm just so fascinated, kind of like, how did you become the Live Alexander online? And what is it like? Did you always create cannabis content slash if you didn't, what was it like transitioning? Just because personally speaking, I wasn't always a cannabis content creator. I came from the food and hospitality industry and I started as a food blogger. And so I was food blogging. It was awesome. Free meals, whatever. Love working with the chefs, promoting their different projects. Then my car accident happened, which I shared with you and my listeners, you know, know that little bit journey about me um, just from previous episodes. So I turned into wellness content, more recovery, more fitness oriented posts. And then when I launched my cannabis brand, I was like, well, I have these followers. I have this platform. I am a little selfish and I don't want to post about, you know, the best cheeseburger to eat because I'm not eating those things anymore. Now I want to talk about cannabis and I lost a lot of brand deals. Now I get cannabis brand deals, which is nice, but it's an interesting dynamic where cannabis is becoming more normalized, but it still is so stigmatized. So how did you do that? It's funny. I have like all these pictures kind of on this back wall of like the journey, but I was in beauty pageants when I was a little kid. So by the time I was six, an agent, Haley Joel Osmond's manager was a judge of a beauty pageant that I won. And he called my mom for like eight months was like, come to California, come to California. So we did for pilot season. That's kind of what you used to do. So I spent my whole childhood being in front of the camera, being a competitive dancer. And then by the time I was 13, um, my mom, she's crazy. She helped me forge my birth certificate to dance for Mariah Carey at the Super Bowl when it was in New Orleans. And then my mom saw it as a sign from God that we should go back to California and we should chase the dream. So I had saved some money from doing commercials and stuff. And we came out to California when I was 13. And my mom called my dad and she said, you can divorce me or you can move here and we're going to do this. I don't know why I'm getting choked up. It's so crazy when I say it out loud, I guess. I never talk about it. So then I started I started auditioning. I started dancing professionally. My parents gave up their whole life in Louisiana so I could chase my dream. Sorry, I, it's hitting me real hard Girl, today. it's okay. Feel your feelings. And so I spent my teenage years being homeschooled in California, auditioning, living the life. I had a lot of success, even though I couldn't appreciate it then. And it was way back then that people told me, like, get on YouTube, get on the internet. The internet's coming. But I wanted to be a film actor. So I spent my years, I was on So You Think You Can Dance season three. I did a bunch of like B movies, a bunch of horror movies. And I did this horror movie called Old 37. And they had a really hard time paying us. And it was that summer that I started Crystal Cult, mainly because I needed money and I needed something else to do. But there was a period there where I was still acting. And my online business with Crystal Cult would be making thousands of dollars in a day. And I'd be working on a low budget movie for $100 a day. And that was all part of this whole crazy thing that happened in entertainment where digital took over and then SAG changed their rules. So there were like these low budget movies. Low budget used to mean 5 million. Now it can mean 100,000. 
And so the industry changed and then everyone got on the internet. You know, I was on early days of Instagram. Unfortunately, my original page got deleted. But even now when I go back on my page, I'm like, dang, you were on there pretty early. So I was on early Instagram before the algorithm was kind of rigged. I hate to say that, but it is. And so I had Crystal Colt and just, and even though Crystal Colt was vapes, I still couldn't run ads. I couldn't do any paid. So I started all of these pages about weed. I had mine called weed.bay. I had one called weed.photography. Eat Weed Love is still up. I didn't sell it to someone else. And then I started my YouTube channel, Bud Feed, which was with this guy, Oliver Bogner, who was a producer of a pilot that I had been on. And I had gone to his office and I wanted him to help me raise money so I could like build a dispensary. And he's like, no, you're going to start a YouTube channel about cannabis. And I was like, what? It's like 2015. So I did. And he helped me start it. And then um, we did a bunch of weird stuff with that because I couldn't make money off of it. I couldn't monetize YouTube then. So we launched an app called Weed Moji, And that's when I started my agency. And my fiance, who was very deep into cannabis as a grower, started coming home with clients, vape clients. At one point, I had a huge chocolate brand. And at one point, I represented cookies. Like I repped a ton of amazing brands. I did their social. We made content for them. And then I would feature them on my feeds as part of their retainer. And then YouTube. So I really just lived on the internet for years and pushed out content every single day. At first, people were like, you're ruining your life. Like, what are you doing? But it was that it was that non-stoner type of content. It was the Louboutins with my hands rolling a joint. It was my amazing nails. You know, it was this other view of who a stoner could be that spoke to people. And my following grew really, really, really fast. And then I leveraged it with cannabis companies. And I would just like walk around the cannabis cups and Emerald Cup and show people my pages and say like, if you ever get deleted, call me, I can get your pages back, even though that's how I ended up getting kicked off of Instagram, because I was paying people at Instagram. But I really just always believe that social media is that amazing. Well, it, it's so hard because it's changed so much. You know, it's so censored. But social media was this amazing opportunity at one point where you could show people your world. And if they related to it, they would follow you and they would ride with you. And so when I started Kush Queen, I had been established for years and the guys who invested in me from Connected Cannabis, Caleb, he always says like, it's just crazy how you got deleted. And within six months, your brand was on the shelf of every dispensary in California. And I was like, well, that's the power of social media, or at least it used to be then. And then the years of promoting terrible subscription boxes full of cheap China glass and bad products, you know, seeing the sort of awful things, because I would go to the grows, I would go to the manufacturing, you know, I would think some of these brands had these like, crazy facilities and they were just like glorified traps and they were some of the biggest brands in California which in some aspects there's nothing wrong with that and then in other aspects you want that quality in the manufacturing of the product and I think all of it sort of converged on Kush Queen where I was like I know this stuff and then I know I can do better than these people and then I had something that a significant amount of people believe it or not in both the hemp and cannabis markets don't have which is a real audience and people have seen me laugh. They've seen me cry. They've seen me get deleted. They've seen my mom get a brain tumor. I've really been putting it all out there. I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't hide anything because I'm not one of those influencers who's trying to show a perfect life. 
I'm just trying to show people like I'm a real ass person and I don't come from a wealthy family. You know, my parents live in an apartment in North Hollywood. I love them, but they don't have it like that. And I really just enjoy showing people that there is absolutely nothing that is stopping you in life other than yourself. And then my mental health story, you know, being bipolar, sharing that with people, talking about my abortions, just being really fucking open, like just a cracked open, which all comes from acting, all comes from my my early days in walking into these rooms as an actor and just letting it all hang out, you know, and then also just my passion. You know, I really am so lucky that I got a job at a dispensary because I just had no idea how I would have wound up here. And I know that I would have been out there in life wiggle worming and not finding what I really wanted to do with my life. And I think that's also it is it's just like, I love making content. I love being in front of the camera. I love talking, like motor mouth. And it all just kind of has converged on Kush Queen and making content. But it was really hard back in the day. You know, everyone was like, you're ruining your life. What are you doing? Like, why are you smoking weed on Instagram? And I'm like, because this is the future. You were definitely before your time. I mean, I can't even imagine because I I was on Instagram, but I came from blogging days. So that was my first forte into creating content. I worked for a platform company. Our whole business was predicated on WordPress. And so for me, content was long form, written, maybe incorporating some photos. YouTube was obviously around, but Instagram, these social media platforms were nowhere near where they are today. And so just to see the opportunity that it can provide for individuals to build personal brands, you obviously have leveraged it to be this platform for you. It's a delicate balance. So because I think sometimes people look at it and they're like, I want to do that too. And you can, but it definitely comes with a cost, right? It's you're putting yourself out there. You're exposing yourself. Maybe that is not the type of content that someone else wants to create. And that's okay. I think that's where the social media and just the internet in general creates space for all these different types of voices to be heard. But then layer on top of it, now you have the whole cannabis, you know, censorship happening and it's feeling really difficult to kind of get traction. Like you're mentioning, the algorithms have shifted. Obviously, we're now transitioning into more video content, heavy on the platform. Visual, visual censorship, you know, is a new thing. Back then it was words. It was hashtags that got you flagged. Now it's scanning AI is scanning the actual image or the video I got on TikTok a few years ago after I tried to fight it. I tried so hard. I didn't want to get on TikTok. I was just like, I can't do it. Like, I'm old. I'm tired. I can't keep doing these social media apps every time another one pops up. And then boom, I go viral like that. And I'm like, of course, you know, and then I've had to go to to TikTok and say, you have to verify me. And they're like, no, you're in cannabis. And I fought them. And I was like, why is Cheech and Chong verified? Why is the founder of Raw verified and I can't be verified? I'm like, I don't violate the terms of service. So I I, I was in like a crazy fight with, with people at TikTok last summer and they finally verified me. And it's really interesting just because I've never dealt with an algorithm that's so suppressive in all my life. And I've never also dealt with an algorithm that can put you in front of so many people in a single moment. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like the same kind of bonds that were built in the OG days of Instagram. Absolutely. It's hard to describe, but it also feels like it's become very fickle. And 
there's like a new, there's a new group of like 40 influencer it girls and boys every few seasons. And it'll be really interesting to see where social media goes. I'm personally like very drained, very burnt out. I tell, I talk about it all the time. I'm like, I just don't know how long I can keep posting and sharing my life. Like I'm, I want a little bit of privacy. I, I saw an influencer literally selling live tickets to her wedding the other day. And I was like, I just don't know. This is just getting really crazy. I know those people, that everything is sponsored. Their, you know, engagement is sponsored. The wedding is sponsored. Their babies are sponsored. And I'm with you. I'm again, nowhere near as I guess, I hate even the word influencer, but it is you're, you're creating content. People are influenced by the content. That's why brands pay you to work with them, et cetera. I'm nowhere near to the caliber of content creation that you have been or the tenure, but I have like a taste of it. And I'm like, I'm tired. I'm so tired. But at the same time, the flip of it is, which is kind of a follow-up question to you. I can see when I post things on social media, the impact it actually has on business or other opportunities on product sales. And so I know the answer, but I'd love to hear from you when you're creating content, whether it's Instagram or TikTok, do you find perhaps one is better for selling products? But can you post something and then like, you know, within, mo is it minutes? Is it hours? Is it days that you see those products sell? Or is it maybe not as immediate? It's, it's both, honestly, you know, for Cushwing, it's a bit different because we had so many issues on social media. I built a huge email list. I built a huge SMS list. I believe in a very like real approach to marketing, which is you kind of do everything. I do events like I'm, I have like an event every weekend for the next five weeks because it's summer. Selling bath bombs is hard when it's 800 degrees. You got to get out there and sell the other products, girly. You got to get pumping lube on people's hands at the farmer's market, telling them why they need cannabis lube, you know? So I do events. I, I don't do PR as much as I used to. I'm taking a break just to conserve my own personal energy. And with COVID, I saw the annihilation of the mainstream traditional media. I, I have a wall of media around me and I'm grateful, but it's changed. So social is interesting. Like TikTok, we launched this product last year around the start of April, the THCV, it's like was the first THCV Delta 9 hemp product online. And I held it in my hand like this. And I was able to make it say like, when you find a strain that or when you find a molecule that actually doesn't give you the munchies. And that sort of like blew up and we sold this was like our biggest launch ever in a single day because of that TikTok. But then we have other products that, you know, like our vape cartridges, like I can't post that on TikTok. Like I get around it, but you can't really show it. So you have to sort of get around it. And it's just very funny because on TikTok now I post about psychedelics and I just post about random stuff all the time. And then people will be like, I didn't even realize like you were Kush Queen and I just figured it out. And so it's been really fun there to sort of be myself more. And because the audience is looking more for real raw, like not wearing makeup, not feeling the pressure to have a face beat like Instagram, you know, I was producing like really high end content, like crazy set design, crazy budgets. I still do it like a couple times a year, but it's sort of always evolving. And it's also an interesting time because I think COVID because of burnout, because of people just like not seeing your content, the same things that worked even six months ago don't always work again. Whereas on social media, a lot, you just do the same thing over and over again until it stopped working. So 
it's just been really interesting. And I just try to focus on the whole business. You know, the other side of it is the dispensaries. It's really, really hard to market your products inside of dispensaries that are so highly regulated. And it's incredibly hard because the dispensaries themselves, especially in California, they don't really market and they expect the brands to do all the heavy lifting. And it, it can be quite exhausting. And I sell a bath bomb in a dispensary. No one goes there for a bath bomb. So you have to sell them the bath bomb. Luckily, the bath bombs have sold themselves over the years because people are like, what's that? And then word of mouth, you know, I still have a huge part of my business that has been built on people just sharing my products with their friends and their family. I sell this insane $250 bottle of pain lotion, which is just like, I tell the dispensaries that and they're like, no, you know, and I'm like, I sell it all day. And it's because we focus on technology. We have a nanotechnology that we use in a lot of the topicals that make them more effective. And that's also part of it. I think it's not just about marketing. It's about innovating. It's about being on the cusp of minor cannabinoids, quality, like also quality. Like I hate to say it, but a significant amount of companies, they sell not even mids, they sell lows. And because I literally use these products every single day, all the time, the quality is not going to suffer with me. I, that'll, that'll, that'll be the last thing. And then price, like with inflation, like I am not going up on my price. I am not. That is the last thing I will do. CBD and cannabinoid products are already unaffordable for most people. And at the rate that I want people to be using them, the price has got to be right. I don't understand selling $150 CBD face oil. I don't get it. I'm like, who buys that? Do people buy it? I don't know. Sometimes I walk up to it and I'm like, it's kind of dusty. I don't know. No, it's it's for sure something to kind of just like, you know, reflect on as a listener. I'm kind of reiterating this for them, for myself too. You have that opportunity because you are still in control of your business. Like you get to make those decisions. And I think sometimes people again, and we were talking about this before we hit record, right? You want to scale and you want to grow. And you were even mentioning it with the bath bombs. Like when you scale, quality is a component that can go out the window. And so if you don't have somebody who's on top of it, who's caring, who's having, you know, some sort of concern for these things, it's easy to make trade-offs just to have the product on the shelf or to have the cool logo. But it's like if the product inside isn't there. And then to your point too, you have this loyalty, you have this repeatability of customers. It's because you care so much, not just about the package that they're buying or the brand experience that they're stepping into when they purchase a Kush Queen product. But ultimately the deliverability of this product is going to be effective and it's going to be worth you giving me your money. I think that's really important because I just, we see so many brands hitting the market and leaving the market just as fast. And I think we experience it for sure here in Austin, where obviously cannabis isn't quite as adopted yet, but in Austin, you definitely have more of a tenacity for wanting those types of products. And so we're happy to be here. We feel very welcome, supported as an industry kind of burgeoning here in Texas. But for as many brands that started when we started, those same brands are not here tomorrow. And it's almost like a race to the bottom sometimes when you're getting into, I don't even want to say like new markets or emerging markets or, you know, new cannabinoids hitting the market. Like there's just so much volatility at every interval of it. And so you can maybe get away on the, you know, front end, but then on the back end, you're going to be suffering, your customers are going to suffer, or you're not going to be able to sustain your products on the shelves. But I want to turn because you were talking about getting into dispensaries. 
you sell online, you sell hemp CBD products, you also sell regulated products. You mentioned in California and you're getting into some other markets too. What is that kind of like to go from online products where you're controlling the experience for the consumer to getting your products into dispensaries? Again, I think everybody thinks it's so easy. I have an idea for a product or a brand and like surely dispensaries are going to want to carry me. I was just in Colorado at Canvas Marketing Summit and I I love Colorado's market. They're not obviously as advanced as California. So this is just like my two cents. They need some innovation in Colorado. And that's not to say that innovation doesn't exist, but I don't always see the innovation on the shelves. And so I went to a dispensary. I noticed the same brand, same products. And then I started asking the bud tender, oh, I'm looking for this, that, and the other. And then she shows me these products that are not on display. So then in a separate conversation, I'm talking to one of my friends who owns a brand and I'm like, hey, you just released a new product. Why is your product not on the shelves? I went to this dispensary. They're a top dispensary. I want to see your products there. They're talking about holding patterns. Dispensaries are not buying or not buying, but like bringing in new products, the pay to play, having to pay for your product on the shelf. And it's not that those are unheard of things in other industries as well, right? You're talking about grocery stores. Is my product going to be on the top shelf, the middle shelf, the bottom shelf? So it's not to demonize that this is a, you know, way about business. But again, as somebody who's gone through the steps to get your product on a dispensary shelf, with what you're comfortable sharing, I would love to just get a pulse from you because I think, again, we glamorize it. And it's not that it's not to inspire listeners to like want to go dream and have their products in dispensaries, but to be really realistic about the timeline to go from product to shelf. Yeah, I don't want to like make everyone feel very depressy about, you know, the cannabis market, but it is it's terrible. And it is not for the faint of heart. And when we voted for Prop 64 in California, there was a big fight to vote against it in the cannabis industry, in the medical market, because we knew we'd be voting against the better interests of ourselves as small business owners. And that was very true. So right now you have about a 40% tax on all cannabis in California between the local tax and then the state tax. Once you buy something, you'll spend $100, you will literally end up paying $150 because $50 of it is taxes and it's terrible. So we have that issue, which is the black market or the illicit market is thriving. I could take you five minutes from my warehouse to about 10 different illegal dispensaries that are three miles from 15 legal licensed dispensaries. So you have 64 hits, everything goes legal and not much changes because there's not a lot of enforcement. But what does change, which is very fascinating to me, is that women start buying legal weed because it's safe and it's tested. And you have women, especially millennial and Gen Z women, becoming the fastest growing consumer of legal cannabis, which is why I still have a business in the compliant market is because they're looking for brands that speak. They're looking for products that are unique. And it's why I've never been kicked off the shelf in all my years, despite all my problems. Because let me tell you, when I was trying to dose a bath bomb, which is handmade with a 10% margin of error at a certain point, it was rough. There was a period where I was struggling. I was failing my batches and I could never make enough inventory. And that can really hurt a brand when a dispensary wants to order from you and you can't provide it. They will actually say, F you, we're done with you. We don't have time for your problems. But I was lucky we had the marketing, we had the uniqueness of the product and very few people have been crazy enough to try to come and make a bath bomb in California. 
But it's really a grind. It is a time of very big businesses. It's constant turnover between mergers, acquisitions, and people going out of business. The larger companies are bleeding more money than I've ever seen in my life. It's very similar to Canada. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand where you get $4 billion to lose. And they don't have customers, you know? And then the dispensaries, like you said, they can't buy for 90 days. There are slotting fees, which I'm happy to pay with some of the retailers who have a lot of stores where my customers go. I want to support you. I want to support my brand being on the shelf of your incredibly expensive store. I mean, the cost of like a rent of a dispensary, like on Sunset right now, is it's probably will make you 60 or something. So it's very complicated. I mean, I tell people like there's a lot of hope because they're there aren't a lot of brands that speak to people and there aren't a lot of brands that have staying power and customers. I use my DTC business for cash flow. I use it to drive my customers into the dispensaries. I'm always, I've always maintained our hemp business as a cannabinoid company and as a marketing tool just to get people into cannabis. I had someone early on, the CEO of, oh God, what is it? Hemper. He's, I always call him out. He told me, oh, you'll never have a mainstream brand with it being called Kush Queen. And he told me that to my face and I loved him for it because he, that's what he thought. And I really always kept the name because for me, cannabinoids are all the same. Whether you're talking about Delta 9, Delta 8, you're just talking about THC content and how high you're going to get. And I do think that there's a threshold of Delta 9 that should be allowed, that is allowed by the farm bill. And I think that for me, my audience, they want to get high. They want to feel better, but they do want to get high too. So it's been very interesting. And the cannabis market in California is going through something terrible. It's really sad. Our government has not done anything to lower the taxes, lower the barrier of entry. I don't hold a license. It's something that people don't probably know about Kush Queen. I have a licensing deal. I license my formulas. I sell essential oils and packaging to my manufacturer. I maintain all of the marketing and the control of the brand at the top, but I am able to survive in the compliant market because of that type of deal. I couldn't afford a license to this day. I couldn't afford to maintain a license. And unfortunately, what we're having is just a lot of really good people go out of business or have to go to the illicit market because they can't afford to be in the compliant market. And I want to go back to what you said about innovation, because it's one of the things that has literally built my career in the cannabis space is the nanotechnology is going into dispensaries with transdermal topicals. I just got second place at the Emerald Cup for our lube, which is like a big deal for me. And that's because of our transdermal technology. And, you know, I was going into the dispensaries in 2018 with transdermal and they were looking at me like I was crazy. And they also thought a lot of topicals were snake oil that they didn't work. And it's because they weren't transdermal. And so I've realized that it is not the role of a large company to innovate. It is the role of the small guys who are scrappy, who have to be creative. That's where innovation comes from. And that's my biggest sort of takeaway for young people who are interested in this industry or who may want to create products or who may want to slide in there. There's no innovation happening. I mean, even like the way we smoke weed is so not innovative. Like I'm thinking about it and it's just like, when is someone going to innovate the joint? When is someone going to innovate? And not it was like some stupid device, but there's just a way that people are going to use cannabis in the future. And no one is thinking of that. We think about it at Kush Queen because we're nerds and we spend all of our time in our lab just like messing around trying to create new things. But I hope that young people and, and newcomers to the industry know that 
innovation is the way to slide in. Innovation is the way to really make a name for yourself. And these big companies are too big to do it. They can't do it and they're never going to do it. And that's what you see in traditional industries with Coca-Cola and all of these big conglomerates buying up companies left and right. It's because they innovated and that's why they can get snatched up within three years, four years. You know, every person has that dream. Oh, I'm going to get acquired in three years. I'm like... (laughs) Good luck with Good luck, yeah. But the innovation is the key. And staying true to who you are, a lot of brands in the cannabis market in California, they don't say anything. And I say everything. They don't make limited edition products. We make limited edition products multiple times a year for Pride, for Halloween, for Christmas, for Valentine's Day. And I'm guaranteed orders because there's six brands in the whole state doing something that's actually unique as opposed to just slapping, you know, holiday edition sticker on their same pack of joints. And that's the other thing, lastly, is just like make something unique. You know, I made something so unique. I made a bath bomb and then I made a lubricant. I, you know, Foria created We Lube, but I innovated it because they were just putting THC oil into coconut oil and then they quit the compliant market. How about that? Like all of a sudden my lube sales skyrocketed. Well, they skyrocketed one time because Dan Bolzerian infringed on my trademark and had to write me a fat check. True story. He's an idiot. Is he still doing things? I know he didn't. No, but all I know is that like a week, a week before COVID hit, I got a huge investment from Dan Bolzerian because he, he called his brand Ignite and I own the trademark for Ignite Cannabis in California because my lube was called Ignite. He never got the cannabis trademark in California. He went and got a federal trademark, which doesn't matter when you're selling cannabis products. And then he put these he put these billboards all over LA. This girl, it didn't even have a product on it. It was a girl with a sheet and his brand is stacked and everyone's buying the lube. They have his logo on my product. My sales were through the roof. And then, you know, it's like, obviously he stands for everything I don't. And I went to his lawyers and I was like, this is ruining my reputation. People think I'm associated with this guy. Pay me. So that, that was one amazing luck. And then when Foria decided like they didn't want to sell THC lube in California, I'm like, you created this category. But it goes to show how difficult it is to maintain and continue going on. Well, there's a lot of hemp companies. I tweeted it last night and a writer responded and we're like, who are you talking about? I'm like, there's a big group of hemp companies all of a sudden launching non-hemp products. And I am literally gagging. Like, I'm like, what are you guys? I mean, I get why they're doing it. I would get it. If, if it would get me in a target, I don't know, maybe I'd make a a, a, a non-hemp product too. Yeah. But- what is that? What is a non-hemp product? Like, so I saw Sagely Naturals did a menthol product for pain and it's in Target, but it's not hemp. But they have like, their brand in I'd Target to be... St. Jane, Jane is doing a whole... I read a whole article with their founder talking about like, well, we were never just about cannabis. We're about florals and we're doing a floral product. And I'm like, okay. And then I saw... Under the same Even brand. Can, Can, the cannabis company, yeah. they launched Unspiked, which I think is just to run ads because they're targeting the shit out of me, but it's it's very fascinating. And then Foria is launching a non, a bunch of non-infused products. So I think it's just really fascinating to me. Like I'll never, as painful as this industry is, I I can't sell a product that isn't a cannabinoid product. I, 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 maybe I would know what to do, but I don't think I know what to do. I mean, I would, but I wouldn't, it's just not what I care about, but it's, it's just very interesting. And I think that's another thing is, is build something to last. No one is doing that. They're building to exit. (laughs) 
quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. It's hard though to last. I don't disagree with you. It's just, it's hard to last when you feel like taxation is going to get you out of business. Maintaining a license is going to get you out of business here in Texas. We don't even know if we're going to get a license. So it's, it's, it's a dream. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think that that is how people should be going into this industry is not, unfortunately, to make a quick buck, which I want to deviate and talk about a little bit because I know you mentioned THCV, you sell Delta 8 products. Obviously, a couple of years ago, Delta 8 was very flighty. <laughs> People had a lot of opinions about it. We sell it being in the Texas market. Obviously, we have limitations. Also doing research, doing testing. I believe consumers should have access to high quality cannabinoids and they be the decider of what they put in their body. I am not somebody to say Delta 9 is the only THC you should experience. It's here are different products, but I'm curious from your perspective, kind of approaching it where you are in the compliant regulated market and also dealing with these other cannabinoids that I, I observe have a little bit of attention because they infringe sometimes on the market. I think just because we don't have federal legalization of cannabis in totality versus, I don't know, just like here in Texas, we're doing what we can because we don't have access. But at the same time, you see the hemp is influencing the regulated market. Again, I see brands selling in dispensaries with CBN, CBG. You're seeing these miners that got introduced because of hemp now playing in the regulated market, but there still is a little bit like, oh, you're selling Delta 8. Like that's, you know, degrade shit. And I'm honestly, those people can go fuck themselves. Yeah, yeah honestly, they can. They can go fuck themselves. I, I have people all the time look, Delta 8 synthetic and what? And I'm like, look, I will show you labs. I will show you labs yes. from, and this is what I did with my bank because my bank was like, and the same with the THCV. They literally told me, take the Delta 8 off, take the THCV off. And I said, look, I've got other merchant accounts who will process me. If you want to go toe-to-toe with me, I will show you when you were processing me and I had all of these cannabinoids in my products that I was selling in 2017. And they were like, what? And I was like, a profile is a profile. A cannabinoid profile is a profile. And if you have real labs, if you know what you're talking about, look, there are bad actors, okay? There's a yes. big group of them. These Delta 8 companies, they need to fuck off and they need to be shut down and they need to go bye-bye. These people are selling far over the limit. And the farm bill is the farm bill. It says what it says. And I think that's what's going to come down eventually is that the percentage is the percentage. And that is what the farm bill said. And it is law. It is not questionable. It is law. So when I do my, when we do our product development, when we decided to go into minors, when we decided to go into Delta 8, and I sell very full spectrum products, some of my gummies, they'll get you high. And we have Delta 9 ready to sell online. Our issue is we're worried about the dispensaries being upset because we sell these regulated products. Now, I think that all can exist because... There's a certain level of testing that those dispensary products are getting that we'll never get on the hemp side because I can't afford it right now. You know, I can't afford 
to test the same way the state is testing. And I stayed in the c- compliant market so I could turn around and tell my customers, look, these are the same SOPs. These, I'm sourcing not from the same place, but very close. Everything is based upon the same things that I've learned in the compliant market at parts per billion. And I assure you that my hemp products are some of the best in the world. I mean, we have dispensaries in Michigan who say like, you guys' hemp products are better than the cannabis products we have here. And they they do really well. So I just think that, I think that it's all going to come together. Uh, that's This is my prediction. I think that cannabinoids are cannabinoids. And these molecules are fucking amazing. CBG, CBN, CBDA. I'm selling a CBDA tincture with a, a lipid infusion from a guy that I, I literally wanted to work with him years ago. It's so good for you. I literally haven't got COVID. And I have been exposed a million times. And I'm like, I'm telling you, there's something to this, this, these acidic cannabinoids, you know, even Delta 9, I saw a CBDMD, they're, they're selling Delta 9 gummies and they're saying they're publicly traded. And they're, they're saying that Delta 9 is more legal than Delta 8, which I disagree. I just think they just came out and cleared up Delta 8 too. So even more impetus. I think that there are bad actors everywhere. They're always going to overdose products and they're always going to make dirty products. They're never going to be lab tested. And those are the people you want to stay away from the gas stations, you know, and some of these products that are literally putting people on the moon because they're not under the legal limit. I personally, as a person who has been using cannabis for 16 going on 17 years, I love Delta 8. I find that it works better on nausea. It's so much more approachable for me during the day when my anxiety is high and I feel that it comes with less paranoia. And I think it is really important that people don't write off Delta 8. And, but there was a period where everyone was like up in arms over CBD isolate. And it's like, of course, like we want, we want whole plant, but it's not right for everyone. I know people who are police. I know people who want CBD, but they're doctors and they're drug tested. And even then it's still iffy if their their liver synthesizes CBD isolate, they could still fail a drug test. You know, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, you have to use this at your own risk, but I believe it's all going to become cannabinoids. I believe everyone's going to change the way that they look at it. And I think that we're going to have some companies who just do hemp because they're going to deal with the big retailers. And the big retailers are most likely always going to stay zero THC or just topical. I think you're going to have DTC brands like Kush Queen who dabble in both places. And then I think you're going to have brands who just, you know, hang out in the regulated markets, which bless their heart. I wouldn't want to do that. You know, I like finding customers who've never experienced cannabinoids before and, and change their world. That's what excites me. But I think they're just molecules and I think it's humans who demonize them. I think it's humans who harm people with them. And I think it's humans who mess up good things. So that's just kind of how I take it. But I love THCB. It's been incredible, not just for our business, but for my weight loss, I gained like a bajillion pounds during COVID and I'm, you know, working out a lot and for focus, it's amazing. It doesn't work for everyone. You know, I think that's another thing. It's just like, as the owner of this company, I'm always battling the insane amount of pharmaceuticals that people are on and pharmaceutical use. It does affect the ability, I think, for the cannabinoids to work in the way that if you're not like if you're not using a whole bunch of pharmaceuticals, I have a significant amount of data that shows the people who it doesn't necessarily work that well for are on a cocktail of pharmaceuticals. And I just believe in solutions that are a singular molecule. That's my issue with big pharma. It's one molecule. You know, that's not how our bodies work. 
that's not how we're going to find healing. But I, you know, I'm really here for the ride. I'm here for legalization of psilocybin in California. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm here for sort of the future of psychedelics blending into, you know, cannabis use. Do I think that it's all the same thing? Absolutely not. I think that psychedelic use is is much more serious and it's going to be regulated even more. But I've had such incredible results with microdosing both psilocybin and LSD personally. And I've learned so much seeing this molecule regulated and knowing that also we are dealing with a mental health crisis that is even crazier than it was five years ago. We're dealing with an even more broken healthcare system. And all of these molecules have a place and a time. And my biggest thing that I want to see is I want to see someone somewhere fill in the gap and educate doctors and educate nurse practitioners and educate the healthcare companies because cannabis is not an enemy. If you admit to cannabis use to your doctor, you should not have that in your your profile as a negative thing. It should be a conversation. And, you know, I tried to get life insurance during COVID and they're really scared because I was trying to get this like crazy life insurance policy to protect my business. And I have this crazy mental health history and I got rated the highest you can be. Even being a cannabis business owner and my my insurance guy was like, this is so crazy. Like, you don't understand how big of a deal this is. Like, you have bipolar in your your uh, medical history. You have all this mental health. You have can- a lot of cannabis use for a long time. And he's like, and they ranked you so high. And I was like, because these molecules are so good for you if you use them intentionally the right way, you know. Did I used to smoke weed all day, every day in the early days of my warehouse? Yeah, I would have been blazing up a joint in my office. I don't anymore. You know, I'm 34. That's just where I'm at in my life. I use cannabis uh, nights and weekends. I use Delta 8. I use Delta 9. I use THCV. I use CBG, CBN. I use them all, all the time in different ways. And that's really what I hope for the most for people is that they just really expand the way that they look at the molecules and think about consuming cannabis like a vitamin. Because you don't take a vitamin when you're sick. You don't take a vitamin when you already have COVID. You take it preventatively. And also stop acting like this is the cure. The cure is within you. And it's also within our lifestyle. It's not just cannabis that's going to help you. It's avoiding fast food. It's working out every day. It's meditating. You know, I, I really love wellness. I really do. I have a life coach. I really love going to do float tanks and get regular massages and I get IVs all the time. I will do stem cells when they become legal. I love biohacking. I'll do all the things because I want to live long and I want to prosper. And I really believe that living a great life starts within. And that's what I wish people realized about Delta 8. It's giving people access to the molecules. It's giving people access to relief. I I literally have people, you know, they criticize me. I sell a thousand milligram full spectrum bath bomb. And they drag me on the internet. Oh, you sell a $60 bath bomb. You're so greedy. But the amount, I had a 61-year-old man called crying. He fell at his job and was really scared. And he got in the bath bomb and he's like, I didn't have any pain. And I just had to call and tell you that. And it's just like, I'm sure you have people that come into your store like this all the time whose lives you transform. And it just sucks that these shitty bad actors give us all a bad name. But at a certain point, it's why I'm passionate about education. It's why I've always believed in transparency. It's part of the Kush Queen promise. 
And it's why I also like let it all hang out because I'm like, we have so much to prove. You know, people, they don't believe in the power of these molecules. And you are also, you're like a shepherd of this, of this molecule and we have to protect them. And so I've been, I've been so feisty about Delta 8 for so long because people are like, Delta 8, I can't believe we're selling it. I'm like, oh, it's going to cannibalize you, teach Stevens and that. I'm like, no, it's not. It's fine. We're fine. We're fine. Let's keep going. Keep going. We got to give people teach the in places they can't access it. And what happens? You know, what I worry about, even though my friends are like, it'll be good for your business. It's okay. Well, if we're, if we're trying to reverse row, if we're trying to go back to that, if we're trying to get, get rid of the ability to say gay, you think they're going to legalize we in certain places? In the, especially the Rust Belt, you know, I'm from Louisiana. Everybody has health issues. I, I grew up in a place called Cancer Alley. Okay. My mom's sister died at 52. I went to a, a cancer doctor and I was like, tell me what I'm going to die of. And he goes, these cancers are genetic. All these women died young in your family because you're living in the most environmentally polluted place in the entire country. And I'm like, oh, so it's my lifestyle will dictate my future health. Oh, okay. And I, I, you know, that's what I think of. I think of my family down there. I think of all those people who aren't going to have access to cannabinoids for a really long time. And that's also why I keep my hemp business going because people are like, why do you do that? And I'm like, well, I love e-commerce. But also we have got to open access for people, access for people, not just in the country, but all over the world, you know, all over the world. That's also something that's blowing my mind is these, these people calling us and saying, we want to get your product in Hong Kong. And I'm like, uh, what's going on in Hong Kong? That's on I you. didn't, didn't, what Asian country just legalized? Thailand. Thailand. Yeah. Full Very exciting. Full, yeah, full on dispensaries going on over there. I'm like, okay, it's happening faster than we thought, but. They let 3,000 people out of jail, a country with horrible prisons. And um, yeah, it, very, very exciting stuff and exciting times. And I think that's also it is I, I see it as such a privilege to own Kushween and be on the, the, the cusp of all of this all the time. And it's so exciting. I think like if I got a regular job, it would be boring. You know, like what would like I the do? Flip of it. It's like, it's so chaotic sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, I just want to throw the towel in. And then I'm reminded what a blessing, what a cool like challenge and difference to make in not only my life, but the people around me. And so I think of my community, like for me, people are like, oh, you should go to California. You should go to Colorado. I'm like, no, I want to see Texas legalize and I want to be a part of helping you do it and educate. It's like you're saying, I think that's the cool thing that I've at least observed about quote unquote influencing. It's okay. Yes, there's influencing. And then there's also the educational component. And so trying to bring people along into like you're sharing though the journey of trying to figure out, you know, what is CBD? What is THC? Ooh, what's Delta 8 THC? How's that going to make me feel? And if it's being demonized and you have these people who are just putting these products out. And that was kind of the point I was making earlier to kicking off this question. You want to build something to last, but I know, you know, I know I can count them at least on my hands and toes. The amount of people who just get in for a quick buck. Ooh, I'm just going to make a bunch of Delta eight carts. I'm going to go flood it on a college campus. I'm going to make, you know, packaging that looks like cartoons, candy. And then I'm going in the middle of the night and it's like, fuck, that's the fucking problem. It's not that Delta eight is bad. It's, how is Delta 8 being introduced into the market and how is it being marketed and not educated? And so that's kind of the cleanup that I see brands like yours, like mine, that have to come and kind of, you know, change the narrative because of course it's scary. You mentioned Isolate. We launched as an Isolate brand first and we got so much. I did too. Oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, but like you said, for the amount of people who want to try cannabis, who get drug tested for their jobs and all the people early on who were like, 
oh, full spectrum won't make you fail a drug test. I'm like, you're trying to make a transaction on the front end that potentially could harm the person who's consuming it, their livelihood, their their lifestyle, their career, their job, just so you can sell them. Like people would come into my store and literally tell me that people in other dispensaries told them that flour was not going to make them fail a drug test. I'm like, hemp flour, hemp flour has trace amounts of THC in it. They're lying to you. And it's just like the the crazy thought that you and I might feel like that's not accurate information to the consumer. They don't know the difference. No, it's so sad. That's the biggest problem. That's it. That's the heartache. It's the consumer is the one who's... People don't know any better. They only know what they know and they only have so much time on their hands to learn. They're not immersed in this the way we are. And that's why it's like I had a, a rep at a dispensary and we we change the ratio of our shower gel. We have a transdermal psychoactive shower gel that literally gets you high in the shower. Ooh. You lather it up. And the guy is like, yeah, well, one or one ratio, CBD and THC, it cancels out the THC so you don't get high from it. And I'm like, wow, but that's just the, how the world is. It's the same thing with influencing. You know, it's like their influencers right now are just like peddling so much garbage. They'll be like, oh my God, I care about this cause, Black Lives Matter and this and that. And it's like, but you're literally funding corporations who are against the movement. Right. And I try to get into it with them. And I'm like, honestly, I just don't have time for it. I just, that's why it's like, I can only control myself and my own level of integrity. And it's like, look, if you fuck with me, you're going to know I'm a real ass person. I am genuinely here for the honest to God truth. And even myself, like I just wrote this book. I, I didn't even talk about that. The Essential Guide to Cannabis for Women. I wrote a, a book on cannabis. This publisher reached out to me and they're like, oh, write this book for us. And I had a really hard time getting them to include CBN because there is so much bad information on the internet. Really? On CBN? They fought me to the nail and they're like, there is not a lot of evidence to prove that CBN is for sleep. And that, and I'm like, look, I was working at a dispensary in 2007 and this guy used to come in for yellow old weed. The reason he was doing that was to get CBN from the weed. Like I'm not making this stuff up, but it really is sad that humans don't have integrity. But again, from a marketer's perspective, from a brand perspective, from an owner perspective, if you do, that is something to market. That is something to always hold close to the chest and know that you know, use your voice for it. And the same thing with the changing the laws in Texas. Like, I'll tell you this, like I had never been to um, a lot of city planning meetings or just different like comment, like when they opened everything up for comment and stuff, like I had never been a part of that. And that's some of the best times that I've ever had. We had a, a whole thing at one point in LA, they were trying to make it a monopoly for people who are already there. They started a medical cannabis task force and we were getting rowdy, you know, and it's like, That's just another thing I try to tell young people, especially is like, if you can really get in there and you can really be a part of changing the laws, no matter what they become, you will have no regrets because your voice was heard. Did I ever think I would be sitting at a city planning commission meeting in Orange County, California? No. But did we have to fight and go up there and speak and explain to the local government what it was actually like to run our businesses? They wanted to like limit business hours from these insane times that like you couldn't function. And we're like, what if we need our facility to run 24 hours a day? Like we're manufacturers, like we got to make products, you know? So it's really, that's also something I tell people is like, be involved, just be involved as you can. And if you can't be that involved, like get align yourselves with the right organizations and fund them and do the work. You know, I've worked with the Social Impact Center here in LA since the beginning. They got our DA to commit to expunging over 60,000 records in LA. And I'm like really proud to, obviously like I didn't do anything, but I've been supporting Felicia since the beginning. 
And I've been getting companies to support her. And I think that's also, it is like, we have a very broken industry with no kumbaya, no one kumbayas. Everyone hates each other. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it because we are all suffering so hard for what we love and what we do and to bring these, this plant to people and we can't even work together. We can't even be cool. I, I, at the Emerald Cup, like that's the best part about it is the, the, the things that win are these huge collabs. One farm's flour, one farm's live resin inside of a cookie, inside of a, it. It's just like the way that that community has each other's back up in the Emerald Triangle is something that this entire industry needs to learn. And I hope the consumers learn that most of the cannabis that they're buying is literally going to a Chad or a Brad who doesn't give a shit about them, who doesn't give a shit about cannabis and has probably come from the financial industry. A bunch of them were literally a part of the financial crisis. Then they came into cannabis and started raising all this money. And I started researching them and I'm like, oh my God, these are like really bad people, you know? So I I try so hard. I wish I had more time on my hands because I would, I would really shift my content to more consumer education, especially like on YouTube. I I just don't even have time to make content anymore the way that I used to because I'm too busy dealing with city hall, like, you know, doing all this boring stuff, but same boat, it's sister. Education, you know, it's education. It all comes back to knowledge is power. And that's the same with the molecules, with the brands you choose, with being an ethical cannabis consumer. And ultimately, like whoever you give your dollar to, you could literally be the difference in their business living or dying. And I don't think enough people say that, you know, I don't think enough people say like, your support is literally feeding my family. I try to respond to every DM if people stay like even a girl yesterday, she's like, I'm so sad. My dispensary doesn't carry your bath bombs anymore. I said, what's the dispensary's name? I'm calling tomorrow and I'm going to call myself because I'm still scrappy like that. And I just feel like you, you also can never get too big for your britches in this industry. You just always have to be like, no, I feel like I just started yesterday and I'm just going to keep going, keep pushing, keep believing in myself and my products and my vision and trying to lead by example, because like, that's another thing, like with social media, Early on, everyone was copying me and I was going insane. And even now, I won't say names, but there are people and I'm like, I read their bio and their story and I'm like, since when did you work at a fucking dispensary? And I like text someone who knows them. And they're like, yeah, she worked at a dispensary for a day. Yep. And I'm like, I'm not going to hate on a woman. Like whatever. There's not enough of us in this industry. If you want to lie, that's on you. But I'm just like, that story very familiar. But then I realized, oh, what a gift. Like if people care about me enough and care about my brand enough to copy me, copy me, baby. Support small businesses. Support being an ethical business owner. I literally am just like, fine, whatever. And also I got a life coach and did a lot of work on myself. And when you you get right with yourself, well, I had to, or I wouldn't still be here. That's another thing I tell people. I, I know people think business coaches are scams. Most of them are. But if you can find a real one, if you want a real business coach, life coach, I have one. They work remote. Just DM me. I'll give you the info. Changed my life. Changed everything about my business. Changed my life. Changed the way I move through the world, my confidence. It's honestly to the point that I'm like, I think I've done too much work on myself that that's why I can't relate to TikTok anymore. I'm like, I'm watching these trends and I'm like, do you get it now? And the in the comments today, I'm like, no, I don't get it. I think that I've like transcended wanting to judge people on the internet. And I yeah. I just want everyone to be happy and bosh, you know, but it's really a, it's really a journey. And then I'm like, holy shit, I'm only 34. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? 
Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.